Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of FAMP, Friends and Magic, a Magic the Gathering podcast brought to you by Swagoy Gaming. My name is Bill Grennan. Everyone calls me Brasky, and as always, I am joined by Conan Hawk, Eric Hawkins, and Mr. Toolshed, Sean Gallagher. What's up, FAMP? Hey, how we doing? Hey, how's it going? It is going, uh, but you might have noticed that it's going... Uh, a little bit awry because we do not have the mighty Linguini Caroline Cavanaugh with us. But instead, oh, we we have a new friend to Friends in Magic that's joining us for this week, and that is our new friend, Sky Bills. Hi, new friend. Good. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Welcome to Friends and Magic. It is going to be a wondrous time. Caroline Cavanaugh, the mighty Linguini, is traveling back from GP Phoenix and a bunch of other things, so she is somewhere over the skies of North America, I assume. Hopefully they didn't take a wrong turn and they're just flying somewhere else. You know, I have a feeling we're going to get text from her and be like, hey, I'm in Barcelona. Um, Didn't we talk about the random trip to New Jersey? What if she boarded a plane to New Jersey by accident again? That's true, because as we discussed, no one goes to Jersey on purpose. (laughs) Callback. All right, yeah, uh, tweet at us at, uh, at Swigoy.com, or at, at Swigoy Gaming if you know and understand which episode that reference is from. That lets us know how many of our ones to tens of listeners actually get, like, the in-depth details of this whole spot. But uh, before we get real in-depth with the history of this short-lived podcast, I want to know how everyone's week and magic has been. And Skybills, since you are new to the podcast, we'll start with you. How was your week in magic? My week in magic has been amazing. I have started learning the limited ladder. So I hit mythic on the constructed ladder three days into the month. And I'm like, well, I'm looking at the state of standards, seeing how much uh, Azorius control there is out there. I'm like, do I want to be committed to streaming standard this whole month? So I looked at the time my limited ranking. So that was only like silver four at the time. And I'm like, you know what? I can do better than this. I've done a lot of limited before. Let's go for it. So currently I'm at gold one, I'm making a break for platinum and hoping to beat my personal best of platinum three. So along the way, I've been learning a lot about limited magic because I hear lo and behold, if you know a lot about limited magic, about constructed magic. So I've been kind of relearning that all over again. And Theorist Beyond Death is a great place to start. I just want to. What color combination has been your favorite so far in limited? Well, the bots right now, and I know this will be formatted to change in the future, you're drafting against bots currently in Arena. So for whatever reason, they leave Golgari open, which black is like the real power color in Theorists Beyond Death. So be warned, if you want to translate that to in-person drafting, don't go all in like black like sometimes I like to do because I know it's always going to be there in the, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th pick. So I would say right now Golgari is really great, but I'll say this, and for someone who doesn't play Control, blue is actually quite good in Theorists Limited. Did someone say blue? I mean, yes, I just... Yes. <laughs> Oh no, yeah, Sean! For <laughs> Skybill, since you're new to the show, uh, Sean would like nothing better than to play Azorius Control Mirrors from now until the end of time. Yeah, you yeah. said you said oh, the word. To be fair, that's like one two matches, maybe? <laughs> but you know, yeah. Basically, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's when when you say the color blue, we can tell that you're about to say it, and then all of us over here are like, no, 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 don't say that, and then they say blue, and we're like, oh, dang, we just lost 15 minutes. Here comes Sean. And it's going to be 15 minutes of Azorius talk for the next, for God knows how long. We say 15 minutes, but it's 15 Sean minutes. 15 Sean minutes of Azorius talk is like a whole nother podcast. And you see, we started with Azorius charm back in the day. <laughs> but since then, we have moved on to Seal Away and Last Breath is our prime removal spells. 
Azorius Charm is more of a cycling. First, we talked about Azorius Charm, which was the style at the time. And then my friend used a, a Dream Trawler. Now, Dream Trawler comes, it's like watching Abe Simpson just discuss, uh, just go off on nothing in particular. But he could do it for hours. Speaking. Back in my day. <laughs> and speaking of what you've been sounds doing sounds. for hours, Sean, what have you been doing this past week in Magic the Gathering? Or have you done anything in Magic the Gathering? And if so, did you spend a lot of time on it? Uh, yes, I've been spending a lot of time playing uh, matches of Blue Eye Control and Standard. I will be playing a Standard Arena tournament on Saturday, so, you know, getting ready for that. And then also, for our Pioneer fans, I'll be playing some either Underworld Breach or Demir Inverter at the end of the month, so I'm also playing with that, and, you know, uh, so I've been playing a lot of those matches on Moto. They take a little bit of time sometimes, but I'm loving it. It's a lot of fun. Pioneer is great. Uh, Magic's great right now. I'm really excited to be loving Standard right now. Fabulous. I love that you are loving Standard. And there's much to love about Standard, especially if you're a blue-white player. But there's other things to love about the game of Magic as well. And so, Conan Hawk, I want to know how your week has been. Uh, it's been all right, I guess. Um, so, previous to this weekend, I played a lot of... Um, Pioneer off-stream. Uh, my, my, my viewers don't particularly like to watch... Um, MTGO, they'd rather watch Arena. So I kind of saved the testing for off-stream. And um, yeah, I just like played a bunch of Pioneer to get ready, ready for GP Phoenix. And um, I'm going to leave the details for a little bit later. Um, but a little bit of spoiler uh, did not quite go the way that I had planned. Um, but yeah, so I mean like the, 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 I guess like my week in Magic, as in like Magic playing was a little poor, but um, I learned a lot, so that's all right. That's what I like to hear. And for me, you know, I, I spent the entire time uh, doing a couple things. So the one thing I wanted to do was just learn a few of the decks that I had cards for in Arena. So, okay, so I've been focusing on Simic Ramp because it's pretty freaking straightforward. You know, there's not a lot of huge decisions to make. It is, okay, Ramp, play big stuff, play more big stuff, win. Or it's Ramp, steal their stuff, rebring the agent of treachery and steal more stuff and win and so i was like great it's a very straightforward deck that's what i need right now i don't need a deck that's going to make me be like all right if i do this one thing should i think about this one thing leaving mana open for this thing and that thing i was like no no just give me something i can just go straight through on uh so i was doing that uh and then i tried to play uh red deck wins and explore what uh, ag the world of aggro is like, since uh, it's the bane of my existence whenever I play against it. I was like, what if I go to the dark side of aggro and see what that's like? And I realized I hate it. I hate it so much. I would so much rather just sit back and play Esper and just make people discard stuff and make them do all sorts of crazy things with Ashiok. That's what I would want to do. But I, I figured it's good to dip your toes into the archetypes that are usually not your forte. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely um, one of the big learning tools that you can use is if you have the cards on Arena um, or in real life or whatever you want to do. You can like obviously proxy with your friends or whatever if you want to if you just like want to jam some games and like learn. Um, one of the things that I, I always tell people is like you should learn that you should learn it from both sides, right? If you are, say, in Sean's case, he's the Azorius control player and he's losing over and over to like a specific deck, he should definitely play it from the other side. Uh, and see like that and like that's kind of like what kind of what you're you're learning when you're playing you know this red deck that you don't like very much it's like well you learn all of the ways that the red deck can lose or the spots where it feels kind of uncomfortable and like how to get in those spots and then when you go back to your other side 
then you you knew the aggro side. You knew exactly kind of what you wanted to do for for or to put the the aggressive decks in on the back foot or in a bad spot. Do you find that the same way as, as it, with limited? And I'll leave this open to anybody. But Sky Bills, you, know, you feel free to chime in on this one. Is you know, obviously, being when you play limited, you just kind of have to look at what colors are open. You have to make the correct decision for the deck that you are hoping to make. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you can force colors because maybe you just like, especially in limited. Let's face it, no one wants to play white. That's kind of where a lot of the past sets have gone. No one wants to play white, but you might sit there and you get an early bomb or something else. So you can see that signpost uncommon, uh, something else that's happening that way. Do you do you have to fight against the urge to not play a certain archetype or a certain color in limited? Would you actively steer away from it, or do you, are you just open to whatever the packs bring you? For quite a few years, I would go to my local game store, and all we did on Friday Night Magic was limited. Well, when you're drafting with humans whatever you have you have and if the power colors are going to be in a certain color that's what you're stuck playing well i'm sure sean would be thrilled to know that my pack one pick one from last night was a dream trawler and everyone in my chat just popped off saying oh you're stuck playing this now and i'm like well this is the world we live in let's see what i can do with control and lo and behold again if we are in a control heavy format which standard is i now know through limited how to kind of go about playing control because if you can play control you can understand how to play against it as well so lately as much as i miss my dinosaurs and i miss my stompy nature of standard um one of the ways in which i've grown to understand and even conquer control is through jessica fires currently right now in standard so there's been that kind of crossover where i've been learning to play in and even think in a different mindset thanks to limited so to answer your question Playing limited has challenged me to think about every single different type of way and mindset to play magic. And of course, as with anything, it's going to take me a little while to learn the styles I'm not familiar with. I will never force a color anymore unlimited. If I just see that something's not going to be available, I will go a different direction, even if that means control to do it. See, uh, I think we need to subscribe to the Brasky School of uh, Limited Play, which is what I call spite drafting, which is to look at something and say, no, I don't like that color. I don't want to do that. I'm going to force green black or i'm gonna force blue black why simply out of spite so what you have to do okay step one get real angry at a color for no reason in particular step number two look at that card that might be rated a one out of five and say hmm i can make it work and win and people are gonna think i'm a genius step three not sure step four lose it is uh, a fantastic, fantastic system that uh, I'll be developing a lot of ebooks on, and uh, you know I, I hope that people will read up on it because uh, if anything that I can give to the people of Magic: The Gathering, they can learn how not to play. Jeez, Brask, a little hard on yourself there, buddy. Listen, we have to be painfully <laughs> obvious about where I'm at in my journey as a player, okay? And that is a journey of a novice. Uh, some people would call a a noob. And so I am learning the game, and I'm being open to it. Uh, and I'm kind of, I want to see where where things steer me. And sometimes I might make a great choice, and sometimes I might make a mistake. Sometimes I might think I have a great game plan, and then at the last minute I'll say, you know what, I want to do something different. And it just doesn't work out. And so that's why I want to talk about GP Phoenix, specifically the experience of Conan Hawk, Eric Hawkins, and what happened at GP Phoenix, his plan for it, how did it end up, and then also just kind of talking a little bit about that meta game. So Conan, uh, why don't you jump into what things were like in uh, snowy, snowy Phoenix? Uh, first off, I'd like to say welcome back, Brasky, because that was great. 
Um, and then the second off, uh, yeah, it's 100% correct. Uh, I went to GP Phoenix. They they have these things called LCQs, last chance qualifiers, to get onto the players tour. So I showed up the day before the players tour. So that was Thursday. Came in, was real high on the the uh, blue black inverter deck, which the deck is very solid and very good. So I had a very good reason to be very uh, very high on the blue black inverter deck. But after playing in an LCQ kind of playing a little bit more in between rounds. Uh, I just really didn't like how the deck played out. The deck was very powerful and kind of talking to people and like watching some stuff, people were like, the power level is very like kind of flat for this format, which later on we turned out was very incorrect. <laughs> um, but so then I was like, all right, well, if the power level is pretty flat and you can kind of play whatever, I will play Mono White Devotion because Mono White Devotion is a style of deck that I like and also a deck that I thought was pretty neat. It has a uh, another combo in it. So for those that aren't in, uh, into Pioneer quite yet, basically the blue-black inverter deck is like a, a blue-black control deck with some discard and some counter magic and some removal, but it wins by playing a card called Inverter of Truths, which swaps your deck and your graveyard, and then you play either Thassa's Oracle or Jace Master, or was it Wielder of Mysteries? Yeah, and um, you deck yourself. And then because of that, you win the game. Um, so you try to make a very small graveyard before you swap, and then you deck yourself. The Mono White Devotion deck, on the other hand, is a creature-based uh, deck, and its combo is Heliod, uh, the new Heliod Suncrowned, where it says whenever you would gain a life, you may put a creature or a counter on a creature you control, a plus one, plus one counter, and you can also give a creature lifelink for a white and a colorless. So you do this with Walking Ballista, which is an XX that has X number of counters on it, uh, and you can remove a counter to deal damage to anything. So give it lifelink. If it has two counters on it, shoot your opponent. The Heliod will give it a plus one, plus one counter, and you can repeat this process until they die. But what I found out is basically because Mono White Devotion has no interaction, like your Blue Black Inverter deck, like Thoughtseize, you know, Thought Erasure, Counter Magic, Removal, all that stuff. Basically, the White Devotion deck kind of let your opponent kind of do whatever they want while you're trying to assemble a combo with creatures. So if your opponent just had any way to interact, you were pretty far behind you kind of fell back on this like kind of mopey beatdown plan. Um, and it was just really, really hard to come back when the the format was so fast, like getting to their win conditions. Like against the blue-black inverter deck, they would thought seize you, they would kill your first couple of creatures, and then they'd just play inverter and then kill you. Uh, against the field deck, they just ignore wildly anything that you did and also just kill you. <laughs> so your, your matchups that you wanted to play were probably about 50-50. You weren't even super... You weren't like super favored or anything like that. And then the matchups you didn't want to play, you were wildly unfavored. So all in all, a very bad decision ended up eight and seven, which sounds like a fine record, but we also had, I also had two buys. So really I ended up six and seven on the, on the weekend and it was just a very poor decision. And then as far as like how the tournaments went, blue, black inverter and field were definitely a Lotus field combo or Lotus breach as it's being called. Um, were definitely the the decks of the tournament. Lotus Breach is another deck where they uh, aim to mill themselves out, but they use a card called Underworld Breach and to play all of their spells again, and then they play a card called Hidden Strings in order to utilize Lotus Field's ability of tapping for three mana. So you would you know get to a point where you have two Lotus Fields. Uh, there's a land that copies a land out of their deck, so usually that's how they get the second Lotus Field, and then they would make six mana, use Hidden Strings to untap both of them, get four mana, cast a spell which would untap their lands again and then they would just keep cycling and then eventually they can play a card called Tome Scour which mills them for five 
and then they just mill it their entire library while keep casting these under or these hidden strings using underworld breach as a way to flash these back and then they would eventually find the way uh to win the game use either thassa's oracle or wishing for jason or wielder mysteries uh i just need to say overpowered self-milling what a time to be alive this is like this is everything that I loved first when I started playing Magic the Gathering because it's such a bad way to try and win, but I'm always just being like, hmm, every single time a new set comes out, my first reaction is, hmm, I wonder if I can make a mill deck. I wonder if I can make a self-mill deck. And then I'm like, no, that'll never work. That will never be a thing. And then I start checking in, like, oh, let's do a Pioneer. What's good in Pioneer? And someone's like, oh, hey, self-mill is good in Pioneer. And I'm going... I better start learning how to play Pioneer. I'm going to start jumping into that because that deck, when I saw it, I was like, this deck is ridiculous, and I love everything about it. You would yeah. love Modern. Uh, there's a mechanic <laughs> called Dredge, and instead of drawing cards, you just literally throw your deck into the graveyard. That's all you do, and then eventually your creatures all come back for some weird reason. Who knows why? By, like, turn two, you can mill yourself, like, 16 cards or something like that if you have a good draw. Like... <laughs> I just that's like that's so many cards, man. I'm picturing me being that dense that I go to my first paper magic match of modern and I'm playing a dredge deck and I go, okay, turn one. And I literally just like slam the deck down and throw it down into the graveyard and I go, boom, I win. And someone's like, what, what do you mean? I'm going, well, my, my friend Eric said that's how I win. You, I throw my deck into the graveyard and I win, right? That's was I doing that's it wrong? Uh, it's I, I really think... close. They had to ban a card that did that. I mean, Golgari Grave Troll basically did that. It's true. So they they banned it, then unbanned it, and then they were like, okay, we made a mistake. Then they had to ban it again. So Dredge Yeah, it's, it's really funny when you, like, talk to people about that card because you're like, they banned a card that says, instead of drawing, take six cards off the top of your deck and put them in your graveyard. And, like, none of the other text is relevant. That's the card that they, they just needed to ban. Mill yourself for six. Yeah, and so you have to skip your draw step, dude. Too, you don't even draw a card. You put this crappy card in your hand, and then you mill six cards. Like that's not that good. <laughs> I have an announcement to make. I'm now a modern player. <laughs> nice. Are you already questioning that life choice? <laughs> Sky, there's if there's something you're gonna learn about this podcast is that Brasky makes a lot of questionable life choices, but they're learnable life choices all at the same time. Uh, and, and I, I kind of want to touch on one thing with you, Conan, is is that you made that switch at the last minute and then you came in and realized oh, that was not not the best decision, that kind of stuff. Would you have that kind of advice for anyone who's going into a tournament of, you know, you're prepping one thing, but then you have this feeling that something that another deck is the way to go? Um, is, is it always best to stick with what you know or uh, have you been through instances where you just went with your gut and made a change at the last minute and it did work out? Um, I, so one of my first or my, actually my first SCG top eight, I, I made an audible, not necessarily last minute, but like the last day. Um, but I, it like, so there's been an instance where it did work out, but I wouldn't advise anybody to make that choice. Um, I was testing blue white control. It was like one of the best decks in the format. Of course. I just like really couldn't get a handle on the deck. And I switched to a deck called Jund Monsters. And ended up rattling oh, no. off just like an incredible run with the deck. But I think I, I think I will add like a little bit of a, a, a caveat to the to like never audible. If you are coming with like one of your own brews and maybe like, you know, you, you had this like vision in your head that this deck was going to be insanely good and all this stuff. And all of a sudden it's like you play it and it's like, OK, it's not actually good. 
why isn't it good and you can't figure it out and you want to audible to say like whatever people are saying is the best deck then i would that's like where i'd be like okay that's a that's a smart audible because you're playing like an uh an untuned on like a on you know a deck that's not necessarily great and then you could switch to like whatever the best deck is but i wouldn't do it the other way around so my five color nico bolas uh niv mizzet uh, self mill deck is probably not the best way to go. I should audible to a actual deck. Hey, yeah, if you to be fair, five color Niv Mizzet's like a real contender right now. Just want to put that out there. That deck's nice. This is it, why it we're friends. I think the breach deck made it made it uh, made it worse. But you draw so many cards. How can yeah. it be bad? How many cards do you draw if I put all my graveyard in the in the <laughs> put them all in the graveyard? <laughs> I think the one thing I, I want to talk about a little bit is compared to the, the two formats, the two uh, between Standard and Pioneer, is um, we've now seen GP Phoenix and what's happened uh, there. And then we've, we're kind of seeing the evolution of Standard as it is. And um, there seems to be a big bad bully in Standard known as uh, Blue White. And then you kind of see the inverter decks and um, you see the Lotus decks in Pioneer. Um, in your opinion, and Skybells, I'll start with you as standard, is do you think something needs to be uh, banned, tuned? Is, is there something that needs to happen in the standard format, or do you think it's, it can self-correct? And then for Sean and, and Eric is to talk a little bit about Pioneer and what you feel about after watching GP Phoenix, is is there further adjustments that need to be made in Pioneer? So, Sky, let's, let's start with... Uh, the blue white, the blue white big meanie, and do you think that there is something that can be done in that deck? Does is there a ban that needs to be made, or will the meta self correct itself? Well, blue white is of course a meanie. I think that's the great way of putting it right now, Braska. Uh, but however, however, Esper is just as big of a culprit right now as Azorius. Part of that is thanks to Doom Foretold. However, Doom Foretold isn't really the real enemy here. I've been saying this. Ever since War of the Spark, three mana Teferi changes the game way too much. It changes the entire way in which two opponents can interact with each other in a game of Magic. It shuts down any kind of instants or sorceries from the opponent, and it can shut down entire deck archetypes. And this isn't just for creature-based decks or aggro decks. This also can shut down even the flash decks. If you land a turn three Teferi against a flash deck, the game is over on game three, or on turn three, excuse me. So it's one of those where, you know, three mana Planeswalkers are really, really powerful. Oko was banned for a reason. Across all formats, Oko was banned for a reason. So one of the ways in which I'd always propose to kind of fix standard and maybe get a little bit more of those aggro decks in there, first of all, Teferi, because of the sequence, and this is where I go to blame us for a little bit, turn two thought, the Razor, Turn three to fairy. Turn four, instant speed wipe. That should never be a sentence within Magic the Gathering. Instant speed wipes. I need to note that Sean is just smiling so much right now because he is loving that entire sequence. I was going to let Sky finish ranting, but I feel like this is my segue to jump in here. I want to go back like like four years ago or so. Sky, were you playing when Supreme Verdict was in standard? Oh, yeah. That was my first okay. standard. Okay. Boy, that was my jam. All right. Things happen. You know, life goes on, whatever. And then they had a tweet, like, one time on Twitter where they're like, there's some mistakes we made in Magic. One of them's that one mana mana dork should never exist, so no Lawnmower Elf or Elvish Mystic should ever be printed again. And the other one they made was no four mana Wraths should ever be in standard again. Boy, 
I'm really glad they disregarded that entire <laughs> tweet because Shatter the Sky is gasoline. In combat, Shatter the Sky just gets me so excited. I love it. Yes, I know it's the boogeyman, but man, it feels so good. You feel like a genius sometimes when you cast Shadow this guy and it kills a bunch of creatures. It just feels so good. I feel uh, dirty in the fact that I'm in complete agreement with Sean just because Esper is my favorite deck to play. In, in general, that's my color combination. So, Sky, besides the fact that we're terrible people, uh, what else would you do to kind of fix uh, this horribleness, as we, as we call the baby Teferi? So Teferi Time Raveler would definitely be my first proposed ban because we were talking about bans earlier. The second one, I have never been a fan of Wilderness Reclamation. I feel like the card can just create way too many combos and even um, non-games at times, especially if that hits turn four and your opponent just happens to have ways of getting to Expansion Explosion quickly, the game's over with very little interaction between the two opponents. And that's a little bit of an issue. It's it's kind of stale and boring to watch. Now you may say to yourself, okay, that's an all right thing if you have like an aggro deck versus that, for instance. Like that's an interesting game because then you're on a clock against red deck wins. But when you're control on control, it just gets stale even to watch. Like if you're watching something, I'm interested to see what they do at Worlds with this. What happens when it's team or wreck on Azorius control? That just sounds like a chess match at that point. It sounds like two different games of solitaire going on at the same time. That's these not Magic all, the Gathering. These are all pretty wonderful. Chess match, solid, two-player solitaire. What, I don't hear a complaint there. Those all sound pretty great to me. I want to see yeah, creatures smashing each other. <laughs> no, I want to see creatures smashing each other. The way I, the style I used to do it, used to do um, these huge dinos, you know, like Rotting Regisaur. We yeah. used to load them up with um, Collision Colossus, and then you want to know how I finished them? I thudded them right into my opponent. You're done. Turn five. Here's all this dino. Here is a thud at you. Or you do Harpooner late game. You thud the Harpooner into the opponent. And yes, later when we talk about um, the Mythic Invitational, I actually did that on an unshown match to one of my opponents. 15-2 <coughs> Harpooner right into my opponent to immediately That's end the nice. game. Keep in mind uh, that you can pre-order Sky Bills' latest biography, Thud the Harpooner, uh, is going to be coming out later on on Amazon. It's going to be a fantastic time. Conan, you had a little comment about uh, what we were talking about between uh, Solitaire and the different types of magic, Team or Wreck versus Control. What's your opinion on that? Uh, well, one of my comments was basically, I think Riley Knight is the commentator for Sky Bills' games, and we need like the golf people from... like. ABC to come in yes. for the game she's describing, where they just come in and alright, so here he goes, and he's going to untap his lands. Oh, look at this, and he's played the Tima, the Tima Reclamation deck is coming out here. Yeah, well, do you think there'll be a response from the blue-white side? Well, could let's... Be, ooh, he's, does, he's looking at an absorb. Uh, mm -hmm. This could be the time that he deploys it. No, but does he have the mana? Does he want to leave the mana open here? It's like, wait, wait, what a moment. Yes, no, he throws out the Reclamation, and... And there's the absorb. Wonderful job. Yes, wonderful job. Oh, there. that's just beautiful. Beautiful that is shot just there. beautiful. And now, of course, we wait for the ever-present dream trawler. There's literally a tear in my eye right now at how the last 30 seconds have transpired. I would pay for... Like, you know how in Dota you can change the announcer pack? Can I just change the announcer pack to golf announcers at every magic term? That's pretty great now. And I'll, I will say this. Like, that is interesting. Could you imagine those same... Eric, let's do this one. Let's do an aggro deck against a sacrifice deck. How fun is that going to be where you sit there and here comes uh, the Fervent Champion. It goes face, followed by uh, Runaway Steamkin. It goes face. And uh, now next comes up um, 
another creature with haste. It goes face. These, these, these creatures with haste, they just, they just, you know, very useful. Very oh. useful. Creatures. And look at this. Look at this. The control player has played a large blocker. And now over to the aggro deck. It burns them in the face. Okay. That's now 2 nothing to the aggro deck. That's not fun. That's not fun where you try to, yeah. like, interact we with a deck and all it does is, I don't care. Face, face, face. We need Riley Knight and his uh, very, very obscure references to things like fairy bread that is something that i learned but he needs to yell it uh very very voraciously at the screen that's all i know that's yeah. all i know now and then afterwards he'll kind of comment on what's in the fairy bread it's like oh it looks like he put a roach in the fairy bread on this one so currently my remedy to the format right now has been just guy <laughs> fires but the way in which i've gone about it is in a more aggressive way so i'll be using the fire cavaliers and as you were talking about haste is really useful in this format you have that, you have a few Ember Cleaves in there, and then you put Chance for Glory in there. You don't give them a chance to play Absorb. You put well, your you're the only one with out. Chance. Yeah, would you say it's your Chance at Glory, maybe? Or maybe even a Chance for Glory? Sit down. You're not the first to make that joke, sadly, but it is good every oh, time Oh, man, it's written on the card, dang I really, I really hope every time that you kill somebody with that on stream, they're just like, they're, your opponent had no chance. What if your opponent was named Chance? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just chance the rapper's playing Magic Arena for some reason. But, um, no, one of my favorite cards and one of the cards that I really feel like can help people like me who did do like to play aggro turn the corner. I really like Kenrith lately. Kenrith is a super fun utility card to play, and he just allows so many different things to happen on the field. You can draw cards. You can give things trample and haste, which is really nice. So Kenrith is kind of like the, are you tired of seeing both ends of control, the wreck and the, the blue-white and the Esper? Well, Kenrith is a really good remedy to all of that. And then the chance for Lord just makes sure that, you know, they don't play one of 50 board wipes in the format right now to just destroy your whole field. So... Again, Just Kai Fire is really fun, and yes, there is a way to take an aggressive approach to it. Utility is the right word. I, I, when I was playing a lot of uh, Fires and just kind of learning that deck, Kenrith was my favorite card of all of them just because it was just this Swiss Army knife of actions that you could take. You could drop it down. It's like, great, we're going to give everything haste. No, I'm going to draw a card. No, I'm going to heal for five. I can, you could really, and, and, it, and at no point, except sometimes with the haste stuff, at no point did it feel like this absolutely broken thing. It just felt like this really high-value card that allowed you to do a bunch of different things depending on the situation. And that's what I love uh, about this card game in, in general is that when you have um, pieces of a deck that aren't just for one thing, that piece of that deck can do multiple things. And that when you have, when you have a card like that and you have interactions like that, that I think is one thing that control and aggro players can all agree on. That's when magic is at its best. I, I will say, uh, a side note on Kenrith, remember that a lot of the, his abilities are uh, symmetrical. So you, when you give haste and trample, your opponent's creatures also get haste and trample. And also, if you reanimate a creature, for some reason you have a swamp in your deck, do not reanimate your opponent's creature by accident. If you click on their graveyard, that creature will go to their side, not yours. I've had opponents yeah, do that in, re in, in matches. In Jeskai Fires, I actually do have a couple of godless shrines in there just in case I do want to reanimate something. So that's really good advice. The other advice I'd like to know, uh, and, and Mr. Toolshed, as our resident person who's played a lot of Pioneer and uh, and has gone through it and kind of kept in touch with the metagame, and I know Eric has participated in Phoenix, it, as you look at where Pioneer stands now, 
uh, inverter decks, Lotus Breach, anything else that's in there. Is there something you think is so unhealthy that it needs to be removed from the game because of some of the other... You know, we've, we've gone through these little uh, bannings here and there to try and just get the format in a good place. What would you think uh, would be any cards, if there would be, uh, to get removed from the game? So... I'm actually going to take the opposing argument, and I'm just going to say I really like Pioneer here. Yes, Inverter's good. Underworld Breach is great. Like, there's a lot of very good decks, but I am personally of the opinion that like I like having a boogeyman in the format, so both those decks being like the top-tier like decks, I'm totally okay with. I don't think they're egregious yet. I mean, the decks have only been around for a week or two, like not very long yet. Um, <clears throat> I kind of want to like you know, do the wait and see thing. Um, but if for some reason things get crazy over the next couple weeks, my first guess would be Inverter, Underworld Breach, maybe Teferi, maybe Fotsies. That's probably some of the list. Um, there are a lot of powerful cards in Pioneer, but I like Pioneer being a powerful format that we can, you know, all hold hands and like enjoy, like have fun, like sing Kumbaya together. Like it's a lot of fun. Um, I like Pioneer being that format. Um, so I, I personally like Inverter and Breach being part of the format. You know, I, I'm also, I guess, like in the opinion that like I think Splinter Twins legal, so should be legal. So, I mean, I have a pretty uh, out of the ordinary opinion on a lot of things, though, too. So, I mean, maybe I'm crazy here. Yeah, Teferi 3, by the way. I know I had said Teferi. There's like four different Teferis. The egregious one, the three drop Teferi. Sorry. <laughs> yes, they're all they're all in my heart. All the Teferis are created equal, but Teferi three is like the star child. So, uh, since we are talking a little bit about bands, uh, I just wanted to state one last thing before you know we probably move on from this. Um, but the the thing that I did notice at the PTQs, uh, quick shout out by the way to Tanya. Uh, who's a Team Segway member. She made top eight of the PTQ uh, in standard on Sunday um, at GP Phoenix. So that was pretty awesome. Um, but watching the the PTQ, there was multiple people getting GRVs. And the reason that they were getting GRVs was because of the static abilities on these Planeswalkers and the static abilities that like uh, Elspeth Conquer's Deaths gives. So Elspeth Conquer's Deaths Chapter 2 is players or your opponent has to pay two more for non-creature spells uh, until your next turn. And the awkward thing is, is that um, you get a game... Sorry, I should I should explain what a GRV is. A GRV is a game rules violation, um, which is basically you did something wrong. It is a warning, but it doesn't give you... It won't give you like a game loss unless you get three of them in a row or three of them of the same type. Um, but basically what ended up happening was is that your opponent would have Narset, right? And, or I would have Narset. It doesn't really matter. Say I have Narset and my opponent goes to draw a card and they like grab the card and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. You, I have Narset, you can't draw an extra card, right? And then it's like, oh, okay, well, we have to call a judge. So we call a judge. Judge comes over and goes, okay, well, you didn't stop them fast enough um, because like their card started to enter their hand and stuff like that. So you're both going to get a, a game rules violation. And I think that's when it like it's awkward. And I don't like it. I mean, so like my my thing is is basically like I don't think they can go ahead and ban everything with a static ability on it that like changes the rules of the game. But it's like one of the the pushing things towards why I think cards like Teferi and cards like Narset are like kind of bad right now in the format, especially since that's kind of like what the blue white deck is trying to do. 
is trying to make it so that like the team of decks can't draw extra cards and they can also can't play at instant speed so they don't get advantage off their wilderness reclamation um so like they're actually trying to change the rules of the game but then it also causes these really awkward situations where people end up getting grvs and uh there was a lot of them handed out in uh in the ptq uh, i know someone had a story that they got handed six grvs in five rounds um and then which one of them cost them a game loss and then they said that uh, a pretty prestigious player that was also in the tournament got like five GRVs as well. And they had played in multiple pro tours and such. I'm going to create a deck that's just going to be called GRV. And uh, the only specific win condition is to create board states so complex that my opponent will have so many game rules violations that they have to lose the match. There used, <laughs> well, to, be a, <laughs> there used to be a deck a um, long time ago. I don't know if like no one plays anymore but it was called the four horsemen right hawk and it was just like <laughs> that deck is impossible to play because the judge <laughs> won't let you yeah you would like i don't remember exactly how it worked but you basically established a loop where like you needed to mill your deck in a certain number of like a certain order of cards to win the game and if you didn't mill your cards in a certain way you would like reshuffle your deck and try again and that's like how the combo worked but it got to a point where like you could try to combo off for like 15 minutes you just couldn't win the game <laughs> so you would just get like all kinds of awkward game states and stuff like that with the deck. It's pretty funny. My favorite one that I've seen so far is on the YouTube channel uh, because science. He actually creates uh, with a legacy or a vintage deck. He creates an actual Turing machine. Uh, he he makes a computer out of a Magic: The Gathering game, and he sets up a deck in such a way that if the board state hits correctly that it will just go on forever and it can compute uh, a bunch of different like uh, systems and equations uh, to decode something or put something around that by the time you're done, your opponent cannot take a turn, cannot do anything, it comes back to you and it continues the sequence until the either the equation is done or something breaks in some way, shape, or form. But you could literally make a computer out of Magic the Gathering. There was another game that kind of did that with a, a certain dragon that you might remember. But it was like it wasn't they didn't make a computer. There was a, a 15 second dragon in a certain in a certain card game. And uh, Who shall not be named. Would, yeah. And then I remember that people were essentially waiting till the end of their turn and then throwing a bunch of animations in so that their opponent couldn't uh, do anything on their turn because the 15 seconds would be over. You know, I think that's just that's just innately inside of us. I think a lot of us when we play a game is the first thing we ask is, how do I break this? right? How do I break this game? I do it with magic. I do it with other card games. I do it with other video games. And that's actually one of the reasons why we have Sky Bills on this podcast is to talk a little bit about her, their background, about what else they kind of do, how they got into magic, what other types of, of games do they enjoy. And Sky Bills, when you, that's what we want to know. I want to know when you first started magic, uh, playing Magic the Gathering, did you ever fall out of it? Where are you at with the game right now? But also, what else do you enjoy? Because uh, some folks in certain communities might recognize your name in a few places. So I began Magic the Gathering with original Innistrad, and who didn't love that set? It was really awesome and limited. Big fan of it. And prior to that, I don't know if this was the card game you were trying not to mention, I did play Yu-Gi-Oh! 10 years prior to that, pretty competitively. But that game was based, after a while, a lot around combos. Like, I would literally get to a really big tournament up to the finals, and I would lose on turn zero both matches. And that was the end of the day. Like, I didn't even get a chance to draw my opening five. So that was the thing where I wanted to, like, kind of get away from... So when I started Magic, I was in grad school, needed a break from something, was kind of in a middle of nowhere college town. So I got back into Magic, which was nice. And after that point, I had graduated with a master's, 
and I began streaming. You know, the job pool was kind of difficult where I was at the time. So I'm like, well, I'm going to do something while I'm looking. So I decided to start streaming and I got into speedrunning after watching GDQ 2013. So I picked up speedrunning and yeah, imagine it kind of fell by the wayside. I kept going to my local game store and drafting. Drafting is always a great way of staying within magic without leaving it all together. So I began streaming and speedrunning. I met my significant other through speedrunning, another well-known streamer. So I would do speedrunning and hosting and working this other job on the side. It was more of a part-time job for about three to four years. I began hosting for GDQ. So if you've heard me, I am one of the flagship hosts of Games Done Quick. Uh, a lot of people recognize me. I've been doing it since 2015. And it was just something I always had a passion for. I did a speed run of Oregon Trail at SGDQ 2015. It was pretty fun. And uh, no, I actually didn't die of dysentery. That we made it to Oregon in about, I believe it was between four to five minutes. And when I got there, they're like, well, we have something to show you. A GDQ staff member approached me and I'm like, what is it? And they took me into the practice room. There was an original Apple II sitting there. And they're like, you're going to do your run on this. And I'm like, I haven't touched one of these since elementary school. And that's being generous. So I had to learn that week how to reuse an Apple II because it's really important to know your hardware in case something breaks and you're on the stage. So <laughs> mid-run, you have to flip the actual floppy disk. And if you do this wrong or you put it in there wrong, that's it, your run's gone. So that was like one of the most nerve-wracking things I ever did was flip this floppy disk at, you know, seven in the morning when I had all these people watching me yelling to flip the disk. And I'm like, hey, I don't want to do this too fast. So it was an experience to say the least. It was a lot of fun. And I stayed passionate in speedrunning for a little while. I did other events in speedrunning. And overall, again, just that point in my life, three to four years, it was all about speedrunning. And then all of a sudden we get to late 2018. And a friend of mine said, you like magic, right? I'm like, yeah, I go to my LGS every now and draft. And she tells me, well, I have access to the beta if you would like to take a look at it. I, I liked it. Uh, I believe at the time Amakat was in there. So we know that other past sets were in there. Amakat, and I want to say, I don't know if Kaladesh was in there. This seems like so long ago considering what 2019 was. But I remember Kaladesh seeing... Kaladesh was there. Kaladesh was there. Okay. So I was playing with Amakat, Kaladesh, and a couple other things. And it gets to early 2019. I'm still mostly speedrunning and playing randomizers and all this on my stream. And I get this email, an email I'd never seen before. It was from Wizards. It said, we are inviting you to compete in the Mythic Invitational. Well, at the time, I didn't know how big of a tournament that was. And it involved me traveling long distances. So I approached my significant other. And I'm like, do you want to take a look at this for a second? And he's like, sure. And he's like, look, he's like, I know you don't like traveling alone, but if you don't get on the plane and do this event, I will personally escort you right onto that plane. You're not missing out on this. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, we live two hours from the airport, so it's quite a commitment whenever I need to travel. I commit to this. Um, I get picked up right before the Invitational by Team Genji, which I am a member still of a, a year later. I'm still with Team Genji, an esports team. And they provide me with a coach and we start working with things and I get drilled every day and all that commit my stream pretty much full-time to magic at that point. And I get there and I did not realize how big of a deal this was. Like I knew it was big. I didn't realize how big. We were playing in front of actual people because this was at PAX East. I'm like, all right, the oddest thing, and I'm sure you all talked about this at some point, we had to select two decks for this tournament. 
So if you think selecting one deck for a tournament is really tough, especially with that amount of stakes, try selecting two decks. And at the time, and this is, everyone knows about my personal grudge against Esper and Azorius. This is where it all started, was right around here. Teferi 5 was still in the format. Now, 3 didn't come around yet. That was War of the Spark. But Teferi 5 was still a very big deal and very tough to overcome at that point. So when I went to go select my two decks, I wanted to select something very traditional. Went with Red Deck Wins. I love Experimental Frenzy. I loved Lightning Strike, which was still legal at the time. And then I chose something very non-traditional. I actually went with Gruel Stompy. And that was when Galta Primal Hunter, which was still one of my favorite cards to date, was still legal at the time. You know, there are a couple people playing on the stage and then the rest of us were playing in the back on computers. So I played through my first couple of matches. My first match was against Andrew Kine. Uh, I managed to win that match. And then my second round was to Legend. Lost to Esper. Surprise, surprise there. So now I'm pressed up against the wall. And I believe my bud Caleb and I had to do battle. Caleb D. I remember a specific match. I, I was down to my last top deck. It was game two. And I'm trying to go for game three. If I don't top deck this card, I lose. There it was the Harpooner. 15-2, thud to the face. And I remember whoever it was saying, I'm not even mad. That was amazing. So we go to game three and I proceed to win very narrowly, but I win. And then somebody comes and taps me on the shoulder. I'm 2-1 at this point. They're like, you're going to play up there next round. And they point to the stage and I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sure, sure. We'll do this. That looks like fun. I've always wanted a feature match. You know, you watch these matches on stream and you're like, I want to do that. This was really a bucket list thing for me to do. So the fact that I even got to do this was great. And they're like, your opponent is going to be Shahar Shanhar. And at the time, I didn't know as much about Magic Pros. I just remember a lot of my friends telling me, yeah, good luck with that. You know, he's kind of a big deal. And I'm like, I'm going to do my best. But, you know, quite frankly, I'm going to play this person just like they were any other person. The respect is there. The mutual respect for the opponent. But I'm going to do this. So we sit down. I take a look at his deck list. Mono White Esper. Hey, I've seen that story all day. That's what Legend, I think, had that day. I sit down. He sits down and I have this like camera in my face and stuff. And I told myself, all right, Sky, eyes forward. Just focus on the task at hand. Game three happens. And he goes to pick Mono White instead of Esper. And I'm thinking to myself, this is my chance. Finally, maybe I can actually make something work. So I picked Mono Red. I assumed he was going to pick Esper. Mono Red would have been the one chance. Galta wasn't taking down Esper. Not with Kaya's Wrath uh, happening. So... I'm drawing my cards. I'm drawing my cards. I'm able to keep his field at bay. I'm drawing my cards. I finally land the Frenzy. And I had Runaway Steamkin. But suddenly, I hit for what I what felt like on that big of a stage, the biggest field of lands I had ever seen. So I believe I whiffed two to three turns in a row. And I'm down to four life at this point. He's got all these one ones. And I'm like, where is one of my Goblin Chain Whirlers? I need this card right now. Again, down to my last turn, there's a Chain Whirler on the top of my die, I, right behind a land. I play it, half of his field's wiped out. Right underneath that Chain Whirler was a second Goblin Chain Whirler, and that's it. He's out of cards in hand. I'm sitting here, my frenzy just popped off, and now suddenly I have a field full of things. And before I knew it, he had put good game, and that's it. And all of a sudden, you know, they were asking me for an interview, and I'm up there, like, nearly crying. All these women are, like, in the front row just, like, shouting for me, and I'm just like, so this is what it feels like. This is what it's like to be on that stage. And, and from that point on, I had just never, ever, ever craved professional magic more than I did in that moment. Like, that was just unbelievable. A well-played game on both ends there. 
I had just had that hunger. And over the course of 2019, I'd competed in Phantom Legends. I had the privilege of playing against MPL on a semi-regular basis because of wonderful tournaments like that. I played in E-League. I uh, won against Ashlyn Rose in week one, and I was able to become the Monarch for the first uh, E-League tournament. I was selected for Mythic Championship 7 to play, which I didn't finish where I wanted to there. I survived quite a bit through day one, but I didn't finish where I wanted to there. To this day, very much in love with Magic. I just want to be entwined with the community going forward. I want to play at, you know, a goal of mine is to play at one of the three arena invitationals this year. I believe there's 128 people now per tournament. So that's a very real possibility that I could be there. Hopefully aggro though, by the time I play, aggro has a little bit more of a presence because I very much enjoy Stompy decks. Hopefully uh, not. Blue white. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I'd like to make a uh, day two uh, and get a top 16 event, but eventually I wouldn't mind ending up on the commentary side of things, you know, much like with games done quick, I have a passion for talking about the game, for showing my love of games, my love of magic, my love of speedrunning. So that's like the, the very Cliff's Notes version of streaming and games done quick and magic. So not much. It's quite a bit to me. I mean, that's like five years, you know. I, I felt like that was a bit of a long-winded monologue there. Our entire podcast is trolling, blue-white control, and monologues. So <laughs> you're good. You fit right into this. You're like the count you're the counterbalance of of both me and Sean, and then you actually have the same ability for for all of that description. And that's it's super fascinating how you can kind of you go from the speedrunning community and then jump back in to magic and then kind of figure out that like yes i can do this i can do this you you kind of use your past in magic along with a little bit of what you know about streaming and being a content creator and putting those two things together and it's interesting to me because that's where a lot of magic is going and kona hawk you can kind of comment on this too and sean you as well especially with what you do with with uh both magic and legends of runeterra is how much of how much of the game you learn by playing by yourself and how different it is to play the game uh, via streaming or play the game in a feature match. It's just a different type of animal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess a little bit. Uh, definitely playing on stream is, is much different. Uh, it, there's like a lot more to concentrate on. Um, so I, uh, unlike Skybills, uh, didn't grow up playing video games. So the problem that I have a lot of the times is I'm fighting, trying to make the computer work the way that I want it to because I'm old and don't know how computers work. Um, but also, like I'm like also like trying to interact with Twitch chat and play Magic. the The nice thing is is that uh, for for you know I mean you all called me Eeyore on this on this channel, so um, you know that I basically don't have emotions and the and uh, that helps in the feature match area because I. I just like don't really notice a difference when I'm on the feature match area, I guess. Um, but I did want to bring up one thing with uh, with Skybills. Um, when you said Fandom Legends, it brought me back. I, I, I miss I miss the Fandom Legends tournaments, and I, I can't wait to see if they come back. Um, and then uh, I had a question, and I don't remember what it is now. Dang it. Um, I believe we squared off a couple times, didn't we, during Fandom Legends? I remember seeing you. I would, I would assume so, uh, and most likely I was probably playing some mono-white deck because that's all I really ever did was play mono-white aggro. Yeah, I was on uh, Jun Dinos for a long time during the era of Fand Fandom Legends, but just a huge yeah. fan of the way that it, deck worked. 
It might have actually been vamp black white vampires versus dinos, probably. Now, yeah. I believe I remember this now. Oh, I remember vampires. Do y'all remember vampires? I miss vampires so much. I remember the question I wanted to ask now. Okay. Um, so, uh, Brandon, aka Tom Locke, um, when he was talking about uh, talking about you, was like this. Uh, you know, Skybills is super huge in the speedrunning community. Like, like basically, like he told us a story where like you couldn't even like walk through. Um, I'm guessing it was GDQ um, mm-hmm. without like somebody taking you aside or like trying to talk to you or trying to get like you know a photo and all this stuff. And then, um, and then just like, what was your I guess, like, how much courage did it take to, like, just, like, make the leap into, like, magic where, you know, like, you you basically weren't a known person to people that outside of the people that have watched speedrunning, right? So it's like, well, I'm just going to start streaming magic and hopefully, I guess, maybe your, you know, your speedrunning people want to watch as well and hopefully pick up some other people or, like, how, how did that actually just, like, like, I guess, like, how did it work, I guess? Well, all of it hit me at once with that with that email I got from Wizards inviting me to the Mythic Invitation. I'm like, look, if I got to do this, I got to be committed. I can't do all the speedrunning stuff anymore. Literally went from kitchen table magic to on that stage in three months. So I didn't have a lot of time to really contemplate what was going on. So I won't lie. I was flying off the seat of my pants, hoping my stream wouldn't sink with the change in dramatic content. But the passion was there. And I'm like, you know what? If they see I have passion, maybe I can even teach some speedrunners to be interested and get into playing magic. So that was my my motivation. Not necessarily, you know, driven at the time by finances and whatnot. It was all about, can I get these two communities to communicate and interact together? And I just wanted to show off my passion for magic. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so one thing I really <clears throat> I really enjoyed when Sky was going through her, you know, the whole journey she's been on was the the point you had made big was like when you were on the stage, like you finally get the like the the feeling of like, wow, this is something I really care about. I wanna like get this feeling, you know, the highest high possible. Like I really that's one reason I really like magic is, you know, when you're like doing really you're like crushing a GP and like people know that like what you're playing and like people are watching you like that's just one of the best feelings in the world i love that you had touched on that because that's something that i really like you know strive for is get to a grand prix hit your stride and like you know you don't really lose like you just feel like you can't lose and that's just the best feeling that's one reason i love magic is just getting to that point where you just feel like you can't lose like your deck just you like think you need a card you draw it your deck just won't let you lose you're not mulliganing your opponents are mulliganing all day that's just that's why I love magic, you know, the highest highs and also the lowest lows, but <laughs> the highest highs for sure, I think. What helped me out with the feature matches, though, if I was not a streamer, I would feel very nervous having all those cameras on me. But I'm used to talking in front of 100,000 people for GDQ as the host. So I'm like, you know right. what? This is no different than that. So mm-hmm. that really helped out keep my nerves in check. And nerves were really never an issue during any of my feature matches. That's good. Yeah, I remember when I was in uh, the first Grand Prix I ever done really well. I was literally on table one, like round 11 or 12. And I just like, people were watching and I was just like, I feel like I should like, you know, not be doing anything stupid. I just remember throwing a game in the trash and like, yeah, the nerves were really hard for me when I first got into Magic. Now that I've been playing for a few years, like it's less of an issue, but I remember it being a really tough issue for me to overcome. And now that I've been streaming a lot more recently, that's also been helping too, so. Yeah, the nerves definitely was a factor that I had never really considered when I got into magic. I, I want to pose this to all y'all since y'all have been streaming as well. Do you ever feel like you just get the worst luck 
possible on streaming? It's called streamer luck. It's a real thing. So, I, like, for example, oh, God, no, I want to hear this. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's just because you play so many more games, right? It's like, it, like you, it's like, you don't remember all the times where the games went smoothly. You remember the times where you're like, can I please stop drawing lands? I have, you know, 25 in my deck and there's 21 in play and there's four in my hand. Then you draw a land and you're like, this isn't actually even possible. How did this work? You know, but yeah, it, it definitely. I think it's because you just remember those like unbelievable, you know, terrible luck ones. For my, for me, it was even the fact that it taught me how to react differently to the bad luck. Because I am the type of human being that if I am by myself, I will react terribly to the bad luck. I there will be so many swear words that come out of my mouth. I will feel so angry. I will get so tilted. But yet, for some reason, if I'm streaming. Uh, or if there's people around me, uh, the game just takes on this certain levity that uh, when bad luck happens to me, um, people can either commiserate with me and it doesn't feel so bad, or I react very much differently going, <laughs> that, that's just how it is. And it, there's just something, I, I think it's actually in human nature. It's just like when people are watching you do something, you don't, it, it just makes you react a little bit differently to certain circumstances, even bad luck in that way too. Braski just wants to set a good example for all of his viewers. Yes, because I am the shining beacon of good manners and non-tilt in any card game that I've ever played. The one thing that I really, because like I swear like a sailor, on my stream, it gets really bad sometimes in my stream. I have to really censor myself around this podcast, but yeah, if you ever want to just like communicate with me on my podcast, definitely let it fly. I don't mind anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Okos get to fly all over the place. <laughs> yeah, just Oko this, Oko that all over the place, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, and there's there's nothing to prepare. And this is for anyone listening to this at my stream. There's nothing to prepare you for what rock bottom feels like on stream. Two matches back to back. This is the pack one, pick one dream trawler I referred to earlier. Both matches back to back dream trawler was the fourth to last card in my deck. And by the time I had gotten to it, I didn't have enough attacks left because you have to draw a card each time to get dream trawler to do its thing. So the I only time, myself. The only time it isn't good enough. Literally the only time. That's so depressing. I, I, I almost let a few fly last night myself, and I strive for PG thirteen content. So I'll tell you, nothing prepares you for rock bottom. Nothing. Is I just gotta know? Is the PG thirteen one f word every sixty minutes? Is that how the rating system works? I don't know. It's like one per stream, but I like kind of like to save it for late at night. You know, I can't gotta have break those the, kids. Gotta break yeah. the watershed. Yeah. Well, I'm one of the hosts for Games Done Quick Hotfix, which is their online component. I'm the host of one of their shows, Random Number Generation. They can't let one of their hosts be flying with F-words. It's a family-friendly organization. So I have to that much more watch myself. But when moments like that happen, it's just like, oh, my gosh. I had to, like, stand up and walk away for a few minutes because... I could not believe that moment. There's so many pieces about this. I wish Caroline was here because at this point in the podcast, I think we would have been at least two or three swear words in from Caroline. Like I would have had made significant edits. Our our fake Patreon would have been just drenched of money at this point. Yeah. When Sky said family friendly, I was like, dang, that's two F words already. It was just like <laughs> I was worried something was going to slip after that. <laughs> uh, do, do you two swear in alliteration, Sean? <laughs> I mean, it just happens. <laughs> it, it doesn't even need to be alliteration. And the one thing I enjoy about it as well, Sky Bills, is like, from my perspective as someone who <clears throat> does uh, do the commentating, you know, I do commentating for other card games like Hearthstone, and now I've just kind of started to scratch the surface of doing commentating in Magic the Gathering. 
Um, it's something that I have thoroughly enjoyed. That's the part of Magic the Gathering that I love is being able to not just analyze and provide insight to a group of people, but to tell stories and to also uh, at the same time be entertaining. You can kind of intertwine those things. I find that so much less stressful than the game itself. That That's the type of that's the kind of involvement that I want to be in. So what you're saying is you and I should figure out some kind of tournament circuit and hmm. join together as commentators for that. I think that should be exactly what we need to do. That mm. sounds like fun. This, we'll call it the Sky Brasky Finals. Because the length of this podcast is going on for forever, we need to make sure that we can wrap things up and kind of bring things back to how we always need to be getting better, whether that is commentating, speedrunning, playing Magic the Gathering, whatever it is that you want to do, we always need to be learning something new. We need to be learning it. We need to get lit. And that is what I want to learn right now is what you are doing to get better at the game of Magic the Gathering. And Mr. Toolshed, Sean Gallagher, what are you doing to get better at the game of Magic the Gathering? Yeah, so this week, Hawk and I have been in-depth talking about Blue Black Inverter uh, with his experiences and my limited experiences with the deck. We're going to come together and build a super inverter deck and like hopefully have a super tuned list for my tournament at the end of the month. So I've been learning a lot about inverter, studying lists, yada, yada, yada. So I've been getting ready with that. And then um, also I've been playing standard, you know, shocker, blue eye control. Oh, no one guessed it. Uh, so I've been playing that. And uh, I've just been playing a lot of standard right now too, because I've got a tournament this weekend. So uh, I watched a lot of the Star City games open over the weekend. That was a lot of fun. A lot of blue-white mirrors, so got to learn a lot there, too. But, yeah, mainly inverter and blue-white, so nothing nothing too crazy in the Mr. Toolshed house. Nice. Sky Bills, what have you been doing to get better at Magic the Gathering this week? Well, in tackling the limited ladder, it's kind of taught me I have to learn a little bit more about control. I don't have to be in love with control, but I have to learn a little bit more about it. And that this just doesn't say, okay, if I get a dream trawler, I'm going to play control. I mean, like, actually playing control if that's what the bots are feeding me. So just, again, not trying to force any colors or play style, but just kind of go with what the bots present me and learn how to play in those styles. Nice. Conan Hawk, what about you? Uh, yeah, um, getting back into standard. Um, I'm a person that needs, like, a goal or something to strive for. I need a chariot, or a, uh, sorry, a carrot to chase. And um, for right now, I've, I've given myself the goal to become the best standard player in the world. Um, which I, I know is not necessarily attainable, but it will keep me running for as long as I can. Um, and basically, I want to use that to go to the Grand Prix in Detroit, the Grand Prix in Charlotte, uh, hopefully maybe even uh, winning an LCQ or qualifying for uh, the PT in Charlotte. And then um, eventually the Mythic Invitational, because uh, if you listen to the podcast a couple, like maybe two, three ago, um, I did qualify for the Mythic Invitational via the MIQ, so that's kind of like the reason that I want to push myself to become um, one of you know a, a, the best standard player that I could be at the very least. Nice for me, it is it is getting back to basics a little bit and uh, learning from the best. And so I've been taking my time to kind of watch some of the best players, watch their streams, uh, specifically in the decks that I want to play, and then not watch them live but i watch the replays and then when it comes for them when it comes time for them to make a decision uh, i can either just think about it right on the fly or also just pause make my decision and go from there so i, I was like for instance i was watching uh, andrea Mangucci's play esper 
and play not just at, not Esper Hero, but Esper Control. And then from watching how he played it, every time he would come to a big decision, I would pause it, say, this is what I would do, and then I'd play it and watch him play, you know, the right way and understand, oh, okay, this is why. And then try to gain a better understanding of uh, how to play the decks I really enjoy playing and, and just trying to optimize um, optimize my play level because of that. And that's kind of the big thing for me is, is from a, from a novice's perspective is I've found the decks I like to play. Now I like, I know what color combinations I enjoy. I know this is the way I want to play the game. And now it's time for me to really learn all the ins and outs of the right ways to play the game. I was going to try to come up with a, with a, uh, um, a segue, but I, I kind of blanked. I was excited. Just looking at Brasky new, uh, new biography for Conan Hawk blanking on the segue. Just literally, just him on a segue, just I, like I, I in feel thought, like I just going like became a mall cop. Where I'm just like, I'm just like sitting there, just like riding around the mall. All of a sudden, just like, just still riding. They're like, "What are you doing? Shouldn't you be looking at something?" They're like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, I was blanking." I was, and I'm on a segue. Therefore, I was blanking on a segue. Uh, but this segue is not very smooth, nor is it a mall cop because it's been a wonderful podcast. But we're all. We're all finished up for right now. There's there's plenty to talk about, plenty more to go into, uh, including a, a couple of quick things about events coming up because we usually have Where in the World is Caroline Cavanaugh at this point, and we assume that she is somewhere in the sky above North America. So, Conan Hawk, if you can give us just a quick rundown of events coming up in the next like two or three weeks, and then let's close this puppy out. Yeah, sure. Uh, this weekend, so February 4th or 14th through the 16th, there's the Magic World Championship. Uh, this is important because... If you uh, are lucky enough to have an LGS near you doing a viewing party, uh, you can go ahead and go there and hopefully get yourself a sweet Crucible of Worlds promo. Uh, so I highly advise you to, to check that out if you're interested in watching it. It'd be kind of cool to watch it with some some of the people from your LGS and kind of like, you know, have like a nice like, gathering uh, for that. Uh, February 21st uh, through the 23rd, there's DreamHack Anaheim. There's going to be a few Segoy members there. So if you're going to be there, Definitely say hi to the Segway members. Uh, and on the same weekend, uh, there's SCG Indie, which is going to be uh, Pioneer. Um, I believe Sean might be there. So definitely say hi to Sean if, uh, if you do go there. Um, and that's basically what we got uh, for the upcoming weekends. Nice. Sky Builds, are you going to check out any of these events coming up? Oh, definitely going to watch the World Championship for sure. Um eventually hoping to qualify for the mythic invitational and i will probably be at charlotte at uh, magic fest charlotte and i'm going to do some side events and perhaps cosplay as chandra while i'm there fabulous and i think that there'll be a lot of people that'd be love to say hey what's up what's going on maybe play a game or two maybe get back to the old kitchen table magic of old which i know is, at the very least is something that we all enjoy to play and we all enjoy watching the content that we all create which is why i want the folks that listen to this podcast to know about that content so let's go around the room a little bit and learn about where we can find you the content you create sean mr Toolshed, where can people find you on the internet yeah, so on the internet, you can find me on Twitch at Mr. Toolshed, or uh, sorry, twitch.tv slash Mr. Toolshed, Twitter at Mr. Toolshed. I'll be in Louisville at the end of this month. I will be going to Detroit next month. I'll be going to Indy, or sorry, Indy this month, Detroit next month, and Louisville next month. Um, I'll also be going to OCM tournaments in Iowa. Come say hi. I'll be playing some Pioneer, probably Inverter. In standard, I'll be playing blue-white control. 
battle, talk about bad blue-white control cards, talk about the glory days of Azorius Charm and Elixir of Immortality, whatever you want to do. Nice. Conan Hawk, how about you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Conan Hawk. Uh, also, you can find me on Twitch Monday through Friday as long as my traveling doesn't get in the way, um, which won't be until probably Grand Prix Detroit, um, and that will be at twitch.tv slash Conan Hawk. And Sky Bills, our wonderful guest, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me just about every single day on twitch.tv slash skybills. I'm on Twitter at skybills. And if you would like to see more of my speedrunning content, that's at youtube.com slash skybills. Fabulous. And of course, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Brasky1142. And uh, of course, if you want to learn more about our organization, Swagoi Gaming, you can go to www.swagoi.com. It's S W A G O I. You can also find us on Twitter at Swagoi Gaming. And that's, uh, that's where you can learn all about. Uh, not just the Magic team, but the Hearthstone team. There'll be many more, uh, hopefully, teams coming up in the near future. And no matter where you go, you know you can always find us here as your favorite podcast for Magic the Gathering, your favorite podcast about friends and magic, which is why we are called FAM. So for myself and for the entire team here, we wish you all a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Sassy.